Hi, this is Matt and Sean from Two Black Guys with good credit. If you own or operate a business, whether it's a local operation or a global corporation, partnering with Bank of America could be your smartest move. By teaming with Bank of America, you'll enjoy exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Position your business to capitalize on opportunity in a moment's notice. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America, N.A., copyright 2024. Over the past year, our literary editor, Fred Studeman, has been reading a lot more than he even usually does. He read 134 books over about eight months. That averages out to about a book a day. And all of it was in service of one task, being a judge for the International Booker Prize. I mean, the the sheer volume of books. Right. And you just think, how can I do this? And I I rang someone up uh, who'd been involved, and they said, basically, you know, if you've got a day job, and I thought, yes, I have. And if you've got a family, yes, I have. And if you've got, you know, very little time, and and I don't have much of that, they said, you must be mad to do it. But (laughs) thankfully, thankfully... Uh, there were other people who made me see the wisdom of doing it, which um, was certainly the right thing to do. The International Booker is given in Britain, but it's one of those rare prizes that matters all over the world. Because each year it honors a fiction book that was written in another language and then translated and published in English. Which means that Fred got to read stories from dozens of countries. Mexico, Cote d'Ivoire, South Korea... I mean, to me, the most mind-blowing thing of doing this whole thing was just stepping out of the world I, I normally inhabit, the sort of largely the sort of Anglophone literary world, you know, yeah. without being too pretentious about it, and just going on this mad journey and seeing lots of different perspectives, even making you question what is a novel, you mm-hmm. know? The book that won the International Booker comes from Bulgaria. It's called Time Shelter by Georgi Gospodinov. It's a story about a man who develops a sort of cult following by creating homes for people with dementia that look and feel exactly like the years they grew up in. It allows them to literally live in the past. But then suddenly, nostalgia takes over and everyone starts to want to live in the past. And politicians start to co-opt these time shelters. So the novel also becomes a critique of modern populism. The other thing that's unique about the International Booker is that the winner now shares the prize with their translator. And that's because good translation is hard. It takes a lot of skill to get the true essence of a book right in another language. Well, I think it's sort of overdue because, you know, it's not that long ago when translators would actually sometimes not even be properly credited. But, you know, there was a time when you wouldn't necessarily even see their name in the book or it'd be in very small print tucked away with all the you know, the trademark details. And that has changed. And now the push is to get them greater recognition. Today, my guests are the International Booker Prize winners, Georgi and his English translator, Angela Rodell. We talk about the novel and about the process of translation. And we talk about how a small language spoken by just 6 million people has a lot to teach the rest of the world. This is FT Weekend. I'm Lila Raptopoulos.
I don't know about you, but I actually don't read a lot of contemporary books in translation. I've read some of the classics like All Quiet on the Western Front and The Odyssey, things that we consider part of the canon. But reading a translated book that was written recently about world events that I've personally lived through was really interesting. Because time shelters responding to Brexit and Trump and populism in Europe, but all from a Bulgarian perspective, so from an entirely different angle. I also found it really broadening and exciting because reading it felt like I was in on a secret. Time Shelter wasn't written for me. It often describes a culture I don't know that much about. So I got to kind of peek into a culture talking to itself. And I really liked it. It just unlocked an entirely new category of literature for me. It made me want to be in on more secrets for more cultures I don't know that much about and get their perspective on the world that I live in. Georgi and Angela, welcome to FT Weekend. We are so thrilled to have you. We're happy to be here. Thank you. Thank you. I would love for listeners to give them a sense of the plot of the book if they haven't read it. So the narrator is a man without a name, really, but sort of has your name, Georgi. (laughs) Uh, And he meets this mysterious therapist named Gaustin, and Gaustin loves the past, and he believes in it as a form of therapy to sort of like exist in a certain time in the past. And he starts these dementia clinics where people can live in eras where they hold very vivid memories because he thinks it's good for them. And then the clinics get very popular and people who don't even have dementia want to live in certain eras like they want to live in 1972 or the 50s, often for different nostalgic reasons. And then unsurprisingly, you turn the page and uh, all of Europe is doing it. <laughs> like Politicians co-opt it and entire countries start dressing in traditional national clothes and living in the past, too, and uh, reenacting it. It asks a lot of questions about whether the past is good and beautiful or dangerous. And um, anyway, what do you think? What would you add? What would you change? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. So now, yeah. Even I understood the novel now. (laughs) (laughs) But yes, this is a novel about how we can bring the past to us and how dangerous could be this moving of the past in our days, this flood of the past in our days. So this is a novel which started with the clinics of the past but finished with these referendums of the past. And, uh, yeah, it's a novel about the, the slight poison of the past, actually, the, the discreet monster of the past. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Um, I found myself underlining a lot of lines in the beginning, just sort of beautiful questions about how the past gets made and how we're constantly producing news in the present that becomes the past and how we make collective memory and, you know, how stories from the past help us explain to us who we are. Um, there's something romantic about it. And a lot of that romanticism resonates with me and I imagine resonates with many readers. I often feel a longing for the past. But then when it took this turn and reminded us that living in the past can be a dangerous thing, I was curious about that conflict for you, Georgi. Like, how do you feel about that conflict between the past being good and the past being bad? No, actually, it it wasn't easy book for me at all. It wasn't easy because as a writer, I really love to stay in the rooms of the past, in the afternoons of the past, uh, because past is full of uh, senses, it's full of sounds, 
it's full of stories, actually. The future mm. is empty. And that's why I like to stay in the past. Uh, but after 2016, this conflict, as you said, uh, appeared again and again. Something happened in US and in Europe. And mm-hmm. you know it was connected <laughs> with the election of the President Trump and also with the, in Europe with the Brexit. Mm-hmm. And actually, uh, you could see then how the past could become a propaganda. What happens once the plot moves outside of the dementia hospitals is that each European country starts voting in referendums on what decade it wants to go back and live in. Italian citizens choose the 60s, their Dolce Vita, the golden time of Fiat's and Fellini movies. A lot of other Western countries choose the 80s. Sweden has a hard time picking a decade it wants to live in because so many of them were happy. Gaustin and the narrator are both from Bulgaria, and Bulgaria's referendum causes major unrest. So much that the narrator has to flee. I thought, okay, let's do this. If you want to live in the past, let's imagine what will happen if you make these referendums of the past. Because the, the election of Trump, up to me, and also Brexit, they were kind of referendums of the past. Mm-hmm. And it was very hard work, actually. To I had to invent uh, or to imagine the nostalgia of Spain, Italy, Portugal, uh, Romania, every European countries, and to, to predict which decade they will choose. Right. Angela, I know that you started translating the book before it was finished because it was so anticipated, um, because the English language publishers wanted a taste of what was coming. Uh, And I imagine that means that you were one of the book's early readers. Um, How quickly did you feel like, okay, this really has a potential for a non-Bulgarian audience? This is telling a universal story. Yeah, no, I actually, Gyorgi was very cruel. He didn't let me read the whole book. He only <laughs> gave me an excerpt. <laughs> so so I don't think I was one of the very first readers. Uh, he, mm. he kept me uh, <laughs> hanging like many other many other excited readers. But I had actually worked on his previous novel, uh, Physics of Sorrow. And so that novel as well, although it was maybe more Bulgarian, again, even then, it's clear to me that Gyorgi, his thinking, his vision goes so much beyond the local literature. I mean, a lot of his stories as well deal with these really deeply human questions, but always through a very personal lens. Yeah, yeah. There were some scenes uh, where the narrator is sort of explaining what it's like to be Bulgarian. And it feels like the narrator is speaking to other Bulgarians, but but he is also sort of explaining it to me or to someone who doesn't know. Um, There's this scene where uh, he's sitting in a cafe in Zurich and he's speaking Bulgarian with another woman. And he says, we were chatting away breezily, enjoying the advantage of a small language, the calm assurance that no one will understand you as you gossip about everything. Um, And that one of the topics of conversation always is the, quote, eternal sorrow and misfortune of being Bulgarian. Um, 
for a Bul- Bulgarian, complaining is like talking about the weather in England. You never go wrong. <laughs> yeah, no, that was all in the original. We did slip in some stealth glosses here and there, but we tried to keep it very limited. And that's why Bulgarians, I think, love Georgi's work so much is that it does feel like he's talking right to them about a shared past. I mean, everybody grew up under socialism of a certain generation. And, mm-hmm. and so there is this kind of intimate tone that I think really resonates with with Bulgarian readers that they they, they immediately recognize the, the the references that he's making, but they're also done in such a way that it doesn't exclude the foreign reader. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, you used a word that I don't know, a uh, gloss. It was like something like a that. stealth gloss, a stealth yeah. gloss. What's a stealth gloss? <laughs> but it's a very handy tool, tool for the translator because it's not very fashionable to put footnotes in literature. I think that the, the dominant feeling nowadays in the industry is that it pulls the reader out of the text but there are certain things that are just going to be confusing. And so a stealth gloss is like putting the explanation of what a term or what a word means in the main text. And hopefully the reader will think it was there in the original and not realize <laughs> that they're being explained to and, and thus not be pulled out of the text. So the stealth gloss is a very uh, important tool for the translator these days. Oh, that's brilliant. Interesting. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah, please go it ahead. Wasn't easy at all for translation. Also because when you try to build different uh, eras, uh, you should use the specific language. The language of 1960s is different from the language of 1980s. Mm-hmm. And this was something that Angela did in a very good way. And uh, also we had other very funny moments in the translations. Uh, maybe Angela could tell about the Disco and 80s, <laughs> they are, because when you translate, you translate not only the text, you translate the context and sometimes the Bulgarian context and the U.S. context, let's say it's, it's quite different. Right. Yeah, no, it's funny because there is a conversation between um, two of the characters about, you know, 80s being the decade of disco. And I was like, wait, it was the 70s. I was born in 1974. I remember as a very young child, you know, dancing to, to the Bee Gees, the Saturday Night Fever. And it's very, you know, associated with the 70s in, in the West and in the U.S. And Yori said, well, actually, we, we had this conversation. It turns out it didn't quite make it across the Iron Curtain <laughs> as quickly as it made it across the Atlantic. And so... Um, Basically, it really was for, for Bulgarians and for people in Eastern Europe, 80s is really what's associated with, with disco. And so that it actually worked out really well because the way that phrase came up was within a, a conversation between two characters. So with direct speech, it gave us a little more flexibility to slip in a stealth gloss there to say, you know, kind of contextualize that this wasn't that Georgi doesn't know what's going on musically in the past, but it's just that it really was experienced in a different way. That genre had a different association in the East. Yeah, yeah. Georgi, I'd love to know what's important to you about the translation process. For me, it's very important that the sentence, the sound of the sentence, the rhythm of the sentence to be the same into the different language, into the foreign language. Uh, I must admit that I'm a kind of smuggler of poetry into the prose. And actually, (laughs) you can read, yeah, they are hidden poems into the novels. Because uh, you said you're a, you're a smuggler of poetry into prose. Yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah, you know, it's maybe it's a kind of trick because publishers don't like to publish poetry. So that's why <laughs> I decided to write novels who who are like poetry, <laughs> like yeah. a big poem. I was thinking about the the style of writing as well when I was reading, and you're right; it really is 
poetry. Uh, and sometimes it feels like drafts and you sort of just, you begin to trust wherever the narrator is going to bring you, even if you're not totally sure if you'll understand where you're going. I'm curious what you wanted the reading experience to be like for a reader, um, especially as the book develops. I don't want to give it away, but yeah. by the end of the book, yeah. this whole reality becomes kind of too much for the narrator yeah. and the and the style starts to reflect that. For me, what, what I want uh, is my stories or my sentences or my words to be able to unlock the memories, uh, longings, in the readers that live far away from me, that never had my experience. So because it's a book of memory, I believe that if I find the right words and the right sentence and the right smell and the right sound mm -hmm. in my stories, I will unlock the same memory in someone, even if he never had this memory, you know, because sometimes we have memories about the things that never happened to us. Sometimes the things that never happened are more important than the things that happened to us. Yeah, yeah. That feels especially poignant for a country that was stuck behind the Iron Curtain for so many years. And your answer makes me wonder, like, what do you think the world can learn from this book? What can the world learn from reading about populism from a Bulgarian perspective? Uh, okay. <laughs> there are some things that could be said only in Bulgarian. So I could say then in Bulgarian, uh, if you want to have the Bulgarian, uh, <laughs> uh, also the Bulgarian speech, the Bulgarian words. Uh, mm. Do you prefer to tell it in, in Bulgarian? Because, oh no. Sure. So you would li like to explain it in Bulgarian and then Angela can translate? Is that easier? Yeah. That sounds great. Uh, Българското в романа а, не е много по-различно от това, което се случва в европейските страни в света. Затова... So what's Bulgarian about the novel isn't actually all that different from what's happening in Europe and around the world. А, просто същия кич на национализма може да се види и тук. So the same kitschy nationalism or that nationalist kitsch that you can see here. Тук той е свързан повече с 19-ти век. Here it's in Bulgaria, it's more connected with the 19th century. But also with late socialism. So for that reason, in the novel, there's an entire chapter dedicated to Bulgaria. Because I know those processes here are the best. Но и просто за да покажа, че те не са много по-различни от процесите в другите страни, от национализма, който идва с миналото, от другите страни. Okay, you are laughing on these Bulgarian things, but be careful because they are almost the same in your countries. Mm. Yeah. It's been a tough few years for Bulgaria. There's corruption, Russian influence, the war in Ukraine is really close by. The country has had five elections in just the past two years. So when Bulgarians found out that Georgi had won the Booker Prize, it was a huge deal. 
I hear there was a big celebration in Bulgaria. Our book's editor, who was one of the judges, uh, Fred Studeman, he had seen a video of people sort of celebrating and he compared it to people in a bar like watching their country's football team win the World Cup. <laughs> uh, can you tell me about yeah. how Bulgaria uh, responded? Yeah, how it, it was... <laughs> Uh, you know, it, it was like, as they said, in 1994 in a football, Bulgaria was a semi-finalist uh, in US. Uh, it was world championship. Uh-huh. But uh, the best thing was that people, I didn't expect this. And it was really, I was moved at this. The people reacted in this way because of the success of the book, mm. because of the literature. It was very important for a country like Bulgaria in this last very hard three years in Bulgaria. They just needed to have something light, something meaningful, mm. something that could encourage them. And I think this was very important. Yeah. I was thinking about the power in, of small languages. Um, Georgi, I saw that when Time Shelter was shortlisted, you said... It is commonly assumed that big themes are reserved for big mm. literatures or literatures written in big languages, while Absolutely. small languages somehow yeah. by default are left with the local and the exotic. Yeah, and, absolutely. Um, it's it's yeah. part of my, let's say, my fighting. Because I'm coming from Bulgaria, from Eastern European literature. You know, for a long time we had this dividing or we had this label that, okay, you're from Eastern European literature, so you should tell us uh, the Eastern European stories, the stories mm. from communism or the stories with the uh, Ottoman Empire from 19th centuries and mm. so on and so on. 20 years ago when I started to publish abroad and uh, there were stereotypes, real stereotypes that someone said to me, okay, we didn't expect from you to tell us the stories like our authors. Mm. Why you tell us these contemporary <laughs> stories about divorcing or something like this? And I told them that even in Bulgaria, people uh, fall in love or get divorced, and sometimes <laughs> they die of natural death. Yes. And uh, so it, it's very important to because you know uh, we have we have much untold stories. It's mm. true, but this is uh, our advantage in a way, mm. and we know we know clearly through with our skin, we know that uh, what it means to be part of the totalitarian society, what it means to be sad, what it means to be unnoticed, what it means to be ignored. This has been so wonderful. Um, I just want to ask one more question to both of you, which is just, you know, what each of you want readers to take away from this novel? What do you want them thinking about the most? Angela. Angela. I mean, I guess... I could quote Georgi, and I, I would love them to come away from this knowing that small languages can talk about big, deep topics. So I think many people, when they meet me, I tell them I'm a translator from Bulgaria, and they're like, really? And I'm like, why? <laughs> <laughs> and it's because Bulgarians have really interesting things to say. So I, I, I think Georgi's message, uh, I want them to come away with that. Yeah. Okay, I... Uh... I've never liked the ends of the novels. Hmm. I think I'm not good with the ends of the novel. Uh, And uh, that's why 
at the end of this novel, there is a sentence that the end of the novels, the novel is like the end of the world. It's good to postpone it. <laughs> I would like the readers when they finish the novel to have this feeling that they they can to postpone the end of the world. Mm. Mm. Georgi and Angela, um, this was a real honor. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That's the show this week. Thank you for listening to FT Weekend, the life and arts podcast of the Financial Times. A link to our review of Time Shelter is in the show notes. Also this week, Fred and our deputy books editor, Laura Battle, have launched our annual summer book special. I've got links in the show notes for you to check that out too. If you're looking for a book to read this summer, it's full of amazing lists. As you know, we love hearing from you. You can email us at ftweekendpodcast at ft.com. The show is on Twitter at ftweekendpod. And I am on Instagram and Twitter, though mostly posting behind-the-scenes stuff on Instagram at Lila Rapp. Please keep in touch, send me a message, share the show with your friends. All that really helps us. I am Lila Raptopoulos, and here's my incredible team. Katya Kamkova is our senior producer. Lulu Smith is our producer. Molly Nugent is our contributing producer. Our sound engineers are Breen Turner and Sam Javinko with original music by Metaphor Music. Topher Forges is our executive producer and our global head of audio is Cheryl Brumley. Have an incredible weekend and we'll find each other again next week.